Before we begin episode 85, I have a couple of quick announcements. First, we'll be participating in Farpoint Convention on February 9th in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come by and see us. Elizabeth will be participating in a Game of Thrones panel discussion. Second, we wanted to let you know that we have a new sponsor. We're going to have a quick commercial about their product, and, uh, and it's something that I, well, I, well, I think we'll just listen. Wow, you look frustrated. Ah, oh, I can't get anything done with these kitchen knives. The blades are just too dull. Well, maybe it's time we tried one of those new shard blades. Shard blades! Whoa! I hear these shard blades. Shard blade! That's annoying. But I hear they are super sharp. You can cut through the spine of your enemy, and the blade will still be sharp enough to cut through a very ripe tomato. Oh, yeah? Where do you get one of these shard blades? Shard blade! Oh, sorry. Forgot about that. It's kind of creepy. Uh, I hear you can only get one by killing the previous owner. Sounds reasonable. Tom got one recently, and you know I've always hated him. Well, his wife and kids are on vacation next week. Sounds like we'll get to try one of these shard blades. Shard blades! That's so annoying. TNT Enterprises take no responsibility for your actions in pursuing a shard blade. Check the laws in your local jurisdiction before killing your neighbors. We are not responsible for structure damage caused by using a shard blade. Please allow five days to complete bonding. Don't ask us how it works. We don't know. I'm in microphone one and you're in microphone two. No. It's never this way. Up is down. Down is up. That's pretty much the only thing that's wrong. I think it's kind of kinky. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I get to be on top <laughs> for all these years. Exactly. This is what this is what you come to the Duke and Duchess podcast for. <laughs> Completely unnecessary filth. <laughs> it's not warranted. It's not germane to the topic. We haven't even designated a topic. <laughs> Pure, unadulterated filth. But the kids are in bed, so all the filth we've been building up all day is just going to come out. That's true. That's true, yeah. You get to be here for it. You know, if there was such a thing as a podcast in the 80s, Tipper Gore would not have approved of the Duke and Duchess. <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. So you want to tell them what we're doing? So in this bonus edition, we are going to start covering Brandon Sanderson's book, Warbreaker. We've been going back and forth about this book a bit on the Facebook page. Everyone's really excited for Chad to read it. Uh, Warbreaker is a standalone novel written by Brandon Sanderson in 2009, so about a year before Way of Kings came out, and everyone's just been excited for Chad to read it. They want to re hear his predictions, hear his thoughts. We uh, we don't have the time to put into a full-on book club podcast for this book, so we decided we're just going to sit down every now and then and go over Chad's reactions, his predictions, get into it a little bit. But we're just going to, it's not going to be a planned or a scheduled thing. Nope. So in this episode, we're going to be covering the prologue through chapter seven. Because that's what I read. Because that's as far as he's gotten. Because that's what I happen to have read. So yeah, you will get this podcast when we decide to put it out. Willy nilly. That's right. But there have been suggestions that there are tie-ins and connections between Warbreaker and Words of Radiance. Yes. So there appears to be a certain degree of time sensitivity around getting this project done and having read this book. It, it is it is suggested that you read Warbreaker before you get all the way through Words of Radiance. That's what they tell me. That's what they say. So this will follow our normal spoiler policy and sort of the general conceit of this podcast, which is that Liz knows what's happening. I don't have a clue. We like to make fun of it. It's what we do. 
So you want to kick it off? Let's kick it off. So just real quick, one or two sentences, overall impressions so far. It's interesting so far. Okay. It's my first foray into Brandon Sanderson that's not based on Roshar. Okay. I definitely see some similarities in Mm -hmm. terms of like his writing style and the way he puts characters out there and introduces them, the way he introduces uh, world building and magic systems. You know, there's sort of a a similarity and a familiarity to it. So that's been interesting, but it's also kind of refreshing to get a different world and a different perspective, something to sort of break it up while still knowing that somehow, somewhere in the ether, there's a connection between these two books. That is interesting to come at it that way. Uh, obviously, most of us or who have been reading for a long time read it in a different order. So I bet I bet that's going to be cool. I, I look forward to hearing your reactions. And I, I think the world building in Warbreaker happens more quickly. It's not such a slow build compared to the, the intricacy of Way of Kings. Yeah, I mean, he's got one book to do everything and not right. he doesn't have 10. So he has neither the need, hopefully, for that much complexity, nor the time. Right. So, yeah. So we open with a prologue. It was very prologue It was prologue I I'm used to saying the title, but there are no titles to these prologues. Ah, uh-huh, that's right. They're they're not. In this prologue, boom, we're in my world. <laughs> that's right. Titles don't matter. <laughs> so Vasher has been thrown into prison. He's in the city of Tetelier, in the country of Halandren, the land of returned gods, lifeless servants, biochromatic research, and of course, color. Vasher has an aura that makes colors brighter and a black sword that makes them deeper. Vasher uses his extra biochromatic breath to awaken a mommet and break out of prison and into the cell of another prisoner. Var, the other prisoner, is the holder of hundreds of magic breaths and also a rebel against the theocratic government of Halandren. Vasher convinces Var to give up his breaths in exchange for a quick death. Meanwhile, Vasher's sword has killed all of the guards. We find out the sword's name is Nightblood, and it seems to have the ability to speak directly to Vasher's mind. So a lot thrown at you in this prologue, and it definitely reminded me of the prologue of Way of Kings. When we're kind of introduced to the the magic system. (laughs) Yes, yes, you have this kind of action scene, you've got... Um, someone using magic in a way that, that, you know, you kind of understand how magic works right off the bat. Uh, You know, in Way of Kings, we have Seth killing his way through the palace and kind of explaining how the lashings work. And in this one, we have Vasher uh, using his breath to escape from his cell. So stepping into a new world, one of the first things I encounter is this term, biochroma or biochromatic, one of the variations of it. Right. And it's spelled out in such a way where it looks like, it, it, it almost looks like I could see like a pharmaceutical commercial behind it. Right. Like side effects are getting stabbed through the heart with a sword with its sheath still on. <laughs> That's got to hurt. It really does. Like, it's like getting fucked with the worst condom ever. <laughs> in the worst space ever. Right in the middle of your heart. That's not where it goes. (laughs) So I get this sort of like biochroma, you know, by the makers of Flachimeca chicken, Mm -hmm. you know, by the makers of Phylaxithral or whatever, you know. So I get this sort of weird thing and it makes me question what is going to be the technology level because we're in a jail, but he's got a sword. I was expecting based on initial impressions, for this to be a, a a more modern or even maybe sci-fi level of technology. Interesting. And then and then that's not what happened. No. Yeah. So do you feel like you got a pretty good grasp on the magic system right away, or was it kind of confusing? No, I mean, I think, I mean, the, the breath thing makes sense. The color right. thing is still a little on the mysterious side, mm-hmm. other than it needing to be present for, right. for the different 
types of magic to work, but there's still more to it that I that we haven't hasn't been explained to us yet. But the breath side of it all makes pretty good sense. Seemed pretty straightforward. Some people aren't crazy about the color magic. Uh, there's one other main series that we've we've talked about, uh, Lightbringer by Brent Weeks, that that uses color magic as well. Uh, it works for me. I don't see any problem with it. I mean, in Stormlight, you have light, right? Uh, in this world, you have you have color, which is just a form of light, right? And Apparently, somehow, I don't know if it's directly contributing to it, but but sound and music is somehow a component of it as well. They're just waves. So, right. no, it doesn't, it it makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. So, any parts you found particularly cool of this? Well, I think I was just sort of into the, the whole breath concept, mm-hmm. you know, and then Obviously, you're trying to figure out who this Vasher character is, but you right. you can't really figure out who he is. It was cool that like he gets himself arrested on purpose, right? But at this point, like in most prologues, I'm just sort of taking it one step at a time and seeing what happens. I loved when the straw. So he makes a straw figure. Oh yeah, and he sends it to go yeah, get yeah. keys and. You hear shouts from the guard room, but then the straw figure comes back with blood on its feet. And I just, I love that moment. That's so creepy. Yeah, it's well You don't know what's going on. And then when he finally gets back into the guard room and and Nightblood is there, you know, sticking out of the guy's chest with the sheath still on, it's like, and then the the sword talks to his mind. It's like, I I just thought that was so cool. That was cool. The moment, and I like that concept of being able to sort of like give breath to something to animate it and bring it to life temporarily. It's kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool magic system and open-ended. It gives you a lot of possibilities Mm -hmm. as a writer for what you could do with it. Right. In chapter one, we meet Ciri, youngest daughter of the King of Idris. Idris is pretty much the exact opposite of Halandren, Kingdom of Colors. Their culture values austerity and abdignation. Colorful clothing and decor are completely taboo. Siri is running around town wreaking havoc and passing out flowers, like you do when you're the superfluous fourth child of an uptight king. She skips out of kitchen duty for a ride on her horse, allowing her hair to turn a joyful yellow. Meanwhile, Dedalyn, her father, is meeting with his closest advisor. The time has come for him to finally send his oldest daughter, Vivenna, off to marry the wicked god-king of Halandren. The treaty that outlines this match is the only thing keeping the two countries from war. The problem is, Dedalyn is pretty sure that Vivenna is going to be killed as soon as she gives the god-king an heir. When it comes down to it, Dedalyn can't bear to send his favorite daughter to her death, and he decides last minute to send Ciri instead. So, important question. Okay. Do we have any indication anywhere of how to pronounce any of these names? None. None. Feel free, audiobook listeners, as always to mock and lambast us for our poor pronunciation so right back where we started from <laughs> it's okay. like a bunch of goddamn rookies <laughs> so what were your impressions of these characters so it was interesting it's not it's sort of a trope right you know the older sister who's prepared and steadfast and highly responsible and then the younger sister who's never been given any responsibilities who trops around town with you know loose and free that doesn't take away from it it's not a negative thing but it's just sort of a common trope so i could see kind of where it was coming and then we get this horrible decision that this guy dadelin has to make about what he's going to do with his daughters right so on a scale of one to tywin lannister how bad of a dad is Dedalyn? Oh, man. He's, um, let's see. I definitely put him in the Roose Bolton category. I say Alec Baldwin. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to put him, I'm going to put him in the, um, the Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. He's, okay. he's a Mel Gibson level dad for me. <laughs> I mean, he's not, he doesn't want Siri to go off and, and be, you know, killed at the hands of his enemies but at the same time 
She's kind of useless. She's kind of annoying. So <laughs> she, she kind of pisses him off. So off she goes. I mean, I can't imagine being faced with that decision. So, I, you mm. know, you tr- I want to try to give this character, who I don't know, the benefit of the doubt, and say, you know, you're put into sort of an impossible situation. How do you make that choice? But on the other hand, he did make the choice. He did. He made a choice and said, I love this one more. You know? I think it's going to be interesting. And one of the central questions I have to this point in the story is, did he unwittingly make the right choice? That is an interesting question. I like the contrast of the two cultures here. You Meaning you've got this one city where, well, we haven't seen really a lot of Halandrin. Right. We haven't seen enough of it yet, but we do have this this first place outside of the prison that we were in. Right. That we see is this very austere, dull, buttoned up little country village. Right. And yeah. even though we haven't seen Halandrin, we, kn- we know what the people of Idris say about it. Correct. And basically yeah. everything about their culture is a reaction to what they're doing in Halandrin. And everything we do is going to be the opposite of everything they're doing. I kind of didn't take it that way when I first saw it. We came from the prologue where we have this character who, if he has breath and has color around him, can do this magic. I took it as though there was some sort of deliberate effort to deprive uh, these people, the Awakeners, of being able to perform this sort of magic. At the same point in time, I couldn't quite justify that in my head because you can attempt to strip color as from your man-made things as much as possible, but there are still leaves and flowers and people have colors in their eyes and their skin. So it's not as though you can entirely strip it, you know. No, and you're you're absolutely right. It seems that the core of their these decisions to make their everything colorless is that it makes it harder for awakeners to perform magic. But at the same time, it's also a a cultural reaction to that all awakening and biochromatic breath and and using that for magic as being unholy. It's against their religion. So it's, it's seen as sinful. So So it goes beyond just a pragmatic decision. Yep, so these people are like Crayola Amish. Yeah, yes. They're like color Amish. It's true. Right? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly. And you don't want to hang out with those English people in mm-hmm. Landrin. Right? A bunch of painted whores. <laughs> How about those royal locks? That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that was really cool. And and it, I have a question about it later. Oh, okay. That, yeah. we'll, that we'll get to, but yeah. So that was pretty cool that, you know, her hair changes uh, and they appear to be able to, they all appear to be able to do it. Siri's just the one who does it willy-nilly. Let's address the elephant in the room. Okay. I do not know this for certain, but I'm pretty sure that in 2009, Siri existed on iPhone. It's possible. I can probably Google it. Hey, Siri, did you exist in 2009? She's about as useless as the Siri from the book. <laughs> My Lord. Oh, Siri. Hey, Siri, when's your birthday? I don't exactly have a birthday. My first day as an assistant was October 4th, 2011. Oh. Bam. Man. Brandon Sanderson did not hmm. get maybe, the name. Maybe they got the name from Brandon Sanderson. They might have. Hey, Siri, why did your father send you to Halandrin? (laughs) Hey, Siri, why did your father send you to Halandrin? Well, that was a fun departure, but. However, Siri Cruz was born in 2006. Ah, 
Gotcha. Okay. Anywho, are we are we past the elephant? I'm I'm ready to move on. <laughs> All right. In chapter two, Siri makes her way to Helandrin, hair and emotions fluctuating wildly. It hasn't occurred to her that she is riding into mortal danger, but the thought of being married to a sort of undead god king makes her pretty nonplussed. Back in Idris, Vivenna is having similar feelings. Rather than feeling relieved, she feels robbed of her destiny. She's trained her whole life to sacrifice herself for her people, and now all her work seems to be for nothing. Vivenna has always been calm, controlled, and obedient, but robbed of her purpose, she decides to do something audacious. Mm. What you gonna do, Vivenna? What is she gonna do? I don't know. What, what did you think she was gonna do at this point? I think she's, I suspect she's going to do something to attempt to rescue or ensure the safety of her sister in some capacity. Mm -hmm. The other alternative that crosses my mind, although I think it's a less likely scenario, is that rather than waiting for Halandrin to invade, she somehow takes the initiative and creates like a military strike against them. Third option would be that she goes and, you know, rallies the allies. So that's sort of my 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 menu of options. <laughs> but but my thoughts at the time were that she's going to do something to try mm -hmm. to like sneak into the palace and right. support her sister. She's gonna hide in a basket of towels. <laughs> right. You know, and and uh when no one's looking, you're going to see her eyes between the like right. the little rows of, of straw <laughs> in the basket, looking left, looking right. She's going to poke her head and the lid's going to raise <laughs> straight out of Scooby-Doo. I can see it. Yeah, of course you can. Every time it she runs, it's going to be like, a -a -bunk -a -bunk -a -bunk. <laughs> you know, the Foley work will be amazing. <laughs> I thought it was cool, the contrast between Siri reveling in being unimportant at the beginning of the book and Vivenna kind of railing against it in this chapter. Yeah, absolutely. It was an interesting, within two chapters, we get a kind of a complete, not a 180 in these characters, but both of them having to face the same sort of reality in a completely different way because of this twist of fate. Yeah, I think it's an interesting exploration of people's personality and their circumstances, how those things can intersect and shape someone's path. You know, and we do get to explore whether or not Siri was better suited in the next chapter or two. We, we kind of look at that as well to be the queen of Helandrin. Yeah, I also think expectation as well. Yeah. You know, because Vivena has been brought up that this is going to be what she's going to do, you know, and how many stories are written with these male characters who were the captain of the high school football team, you know, and then they end up uh, selling, you know, water heaters and they're just, I was supposed to be something bigger than this. And they're frustrated. It's a very common mm -hmm. sort of thing. In bad sitcoms in the 80s and 90s. It, which gets kind of our wheelhouse. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right, in chapter three, we meet Lightsong the Brave. He's one of the returned of Halandren. Basically, this means he was somehow magically brought back from a death he doesn't remember. A death that was supposedly extremely brave and heroic. He lives a life of luxury and indolence in a beautiful palace, doesn't have to worry about aging, and maintains a six-pack without having to do a single stomach crunch. Lightsong has one little problem, however. He's a god that doesn't believe in his own religion. That makes what he has to do to survive very difficult. Lightsong has to consume a breath from a willing volunteer every week. His days are spent recording his dreams, judging artwork, and hearing petitions. Today, however, his routine is interrupted by the newly arrived wife of the god king, Susabron. So Lightsong's an interesting character, and he kind of opens up this thematic exploration of faith and religion. Yeah, he, he is an interesting character, and, and so he's supposed to be a god, 
And as you know, you stated so eloquently in the summary, he doesn't believe in the religion that he has somehow been selected to be a god of. Right. And he has no sense of his own history. So he has no idea sort of how he this came to be. And I think that I think that component is massively critical to the character and I think also to the plot moving forward. Yeah, we see Light Song really struggling with his past life and trying to remember. And he gets flashes in his dreams. He thinks he remembers a face. He doesn't know if it was his wife. He knows that his high priest knows who he was, but can't tell him. And we definitely see that being a core of his character and kind of railing against the life that he is expected to have. You know, he's expected to well, they, they believe in Halandren that the returned come back with knowledge of the future. And so they record his dreams. They look for prophecies and everything he says. Lightsong doesn't believe that. So he's very cynical and just kind of mocking about the whole thing. So one of the things that I noticed here with this sort of first, quote, God character that we encounter is there's a sort of a similarity to something I noticed in Stormlight. Yeah. Which is that once again, we have a God who does not appear to be all powerful. Yes. So the quote almighty in the way of Kings is not all powerful. Yes. There are rules that bind them. Yes. There appear to be rules that bind this character as well, mm-hmm. or at least from an outside perspective, if not, I mean, like sort of like from a political institutional perspective of the palace that he lives in, et cetera, if not an actual sort of like physical limitation, uh, maybe both. But I think that's interesting that in in this Cosmere we've encounter two characters at this point who are, quote, gods, neither of them are what we might in modern times think of as a monotheistic, all-powerful god. That's true. And it's interesting, too, in this, on this world, this planet is called Nalthus, by the way. I don't think it's mentioned in the book, but... Okay. It's in the Cosmere, it's called Nalthus. On Nalthus, you see the, this phenomenon of the returned, and they happen in different countries as well, but, as well, but only in Halandren are they considered gods. So it's kind of this idea that that a god is what you make it, you know? Yeah. They're gods in Halandren because the people choose to worship them. They're not gods in Idris, you know, and, and we know that they returned common Idris, and then they tend to just die on the eighth day. They live for seven days, then they die because they aren't given the breath that they need to survive after that. So the the returned have one giant breath, basically, that they can give away, but it'll kill them. And I, I think we find here that if they have one breath a week, they're able to survive indefinitely. Yeah, and we see Light Song struggle, although only to a certain degree, with this idea that he has to take the breath from some poor common girl in order for him to survive. And the, you know, the powers that be just arrange for that to happen. Here's a poor common girl. Go take her breath. And so it's important to note too that the taking someone's breath doesn't kill them. It yes, just correct. sort of ma- it diminishes them. It turns them into what they call a drab. Someone who can't really sense colors. They tend to they don't have that sort of sixth like person sense, like where you can tell that someone's in the room with you. They lose that. But- Bunch of suckers. <laughs> you don't be hanging out of this drab party. <laughs> All the songs they play have nothing but, but major chords. <laughs> Boring. In social circles, they're only capable of talking about work and the weather. They eat plain chicken breasts, no salt, no pepper. <laughs> That's it. Nothing. That's it. 
They don't, they dry toast and rice, white rice. <laughs> All their food is yellow. Again, here we have a contrast between Light Song's lifestyle and what we saw at the end of the last chapter with Vivenna is, you know, picking berries with her sister who's a nun, basically. Yeah. And just the contrast between the two cultures is, is interesting. So I have a confession of a sort to make here. Okay. So I was very confused about who, like, was it Subaron, Susaron? Susabron. Susabron and Light Song were. At this point, I thought they were different characters, but later on, I got them sort of conflated, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not quite sure what I read, but I read something that made me think that they were just different names for the same character, and that Light Song was like the the returned god right. king. Right, And so that's how I began to think of him, and it wasn't until we get to the end of this section in Chapter 7 that I was like, oh, wait a minute, that's not what it is at all. So I spent a lot of this time with sort of the wrong idea about who these characters were. Yeah, it's interesting because when you start reading about Light Song, it would be easy to get the impression that he was the God King because all that's been talked about so far has been the God King of of Halandron. So, you know, you you open on this character who's a God, it would be easy to assume that. Yeah. So in chapter four, Siri arrives at the palace and is instantly put in her place. She's greeted by Trelides, the high priest of Susabron the Grand, returned god and king of Halandren. While she finds herself charmed by the colorful beauty of the city, her fear returns when Trelides informs her that there will be no wedding ceremony. God king don't need no stinking ceremony. She is to be prepared and brought directly to her new husband. Yikes. Stinky. Stinky, I don't like it. Well, Siri's not stinky. She was bathed quite thoroughly. Is this the chapter where she gets bathed? No, no, no. I'm just letting you know. Okay, gotcha. Oh, right, yeah. It's metaphorically stinky, though, for sure. Yeah. She's marching around with all these soldiers. They're walking into a place where they're going to be completely useless. I mean, really. Yeah. I still think... It's a good idea to keep them around. She doesn't. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, it's kind of what I expected, though. Mm-hmm. You're led to believe these two countries are, you know, on the verge of war. So yeah. she walks in and you're like, OK, well, she's pretty much a prisoner now. Right. You know, and it, it sets that sort of stakes for you. And Siri is incredibly naive at this point. Yeah. Did you were you led to wonder whether she was just going to get eaten alive or maybe that was going to help her? Well, I did not th- neither. Mm-hmm. So I did. I do think that she's naive and I do think it's going to cause a lot of problems for her. I don't think it's going to lead to her being eaten alive. What I think is going to happen is that the different nature of her character and her not walking into there with a set of expectations is going to enable her to not have to sit in the same role and just accept it Mm -hmm. the way that Vivena would. And I think also some of her abilities around color are going to... I I sort of feel like she's going to end up having some unique perspective and abilities around Mm -hmm. this that's going to enable her to turn this to her advantage some Mm -hmm. way. But she's in the shit now. Yes, she is. And how heartbreaking was it when she starts speculating that maybe her father sent her here because he thought that Siri would do a better job. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, honey. Oh, poor girl. Bless your heart. (laughs) In Chapter 5, Vasher isn't happy about Ciri's arrival. He meets with a priest named Bebid and extorts some information out of him. Vasher wants to contact some of the court members who are arguing for war with Idris. 
Babbitt can't help him, but he suggests that Vasher meet with Bluefingers, the palace's head scribe. He heads off to do just that after retrieving nightblood from the chest of a cut purse who tried to steal him. Meanwhile, Lightsong ponders the implication of the new queen. He doesn't like pondering, as it seems too much like work. He also doesn't like talking about politics, but he's brought into a discussion anyway with his high priest, Laramar. Sending Ciri instead of Vivenna is sure to stir up the warhawks in the court, having the opposite effect intended by Dedalin. So I just think it's really interesting here, and cultural miscommunication is a big theme of the book. How, and I'm reminded of a story that someone told us recently. Okay. Remember we were talking to um, someone who was having dinner with a lady who grew up in Russia in the, in like the 60s, the 70s? Uh-huh, yep. A family member of ours said he was having dinner with a friend who grew up in that time frame and that she would wake up every morning and the oh, yeah. the national radio station would come on at, at the same time every day and her mother would turn it on to wake her up and the first thing they would say was every morning good morning it, you know it's it's eight o'clock and the americans haven't invaded us overnight and she would just be so happy Yay. <laughs> she'd be like oh thank goodness the americans didn't invade us overnight and like how it just reminded me of that because you see into the minds of the people of idris who are like Every single one of the Halandrens wants to invade us. It's completely inevitable. They're all bloodthirsty, evil creatures. And this is just absolutely 100% going to happen. And then you come over here into the court of Halandren, you realize that's not the case at all. There's certainly a faction that seems to be pushing for that. But not, not even the entirety of the government is for it. Well, and one of the things that we haven't even quite settled in stormlight yet is this idea of these people are expected to be the enemies and so therefore they must be evil but we encounter them and find out that that isn't true or maybe it's true we don't we still don't really know you know Mm -hmm. but this whole idea of is my enemy my enemy because somebody says they are right you know I had the occasion actually to have several conversations with people who grew up in a similar situation, you know, and and uh, I remember, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but I, when I was in the service, I actually was involved in the one of the first times, actually the first time since World War II that a, that a Russian military unit came onto American soil, and I was on the ground. I was actually one of the very first people on the the bus to greet the arriving Russian soldiers and officers after they touched down on American soil and to sort of see this expectation in this dramatic culture clash and how different things were and people coming off the the bus and and their eyes and sort of looking at this place and feeling like they were in enemy territory you know and the first you know the first thing they asked me what did they ask you? Mujnakurit. Is where can we smoke? <laughs> First thing they ask, where can we smoke? And I was like, buddy, you're at an airport. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to wait a while. It's not the seventies anymore, man. No, it might be the seventies in Russia, but <laughs> not here. <laughs> so yeah, that's an important theme of this book, I think. So reading this chapter, what at this point, what do you think Vasher wants? I, yeah, I kind of wrestled with that. I, I, I know that his, or I feel that his immediate concern is with whether or not Idris is going to go to war with Halandrin. I feel like mm-hmm. that's the central thing he's trying to deal with. My take at this point is he's, he wants to start that war. Mm-hmm. That's my take. Okay. So how much do we love Nightblood at this point? Nightblood is pretty groovy. I It's a still a weird thing. I like how he just like lets him get stolen mm-hmm. knowing that he'll find him. Yeah. He doesn't even blink. Doesn't even blink. 
And it's also interesting that the sword never comes out of the, the hilt, mm-hmm. of the sheath. And somehow before, you know, an inch of the blade is drawn is when all of the bad stuff goes down. I, of course, we don't really know what any of that means mm-hmm. yet. But, um, but yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. I just like the personality of the sword that's already come out at this point. Yeah. You know, um, that he's smart enough to realize that he's not a person, but doesn't like being confronted with that fact. And then, you know, he gets stolen. And I just like his interactions with Vasher. Uh, he gets stolen while Vasher is talking to Bebid. And um, Vasher picks him up and Nightblood starts scolding him right away. He's like, you didn't handle that the way that I thought you would. Mm-hmm. And Vasher's like, yeah, you probably would have left a few more bodies. And Nightblood's like, well, I am a sword, so <laughs> I should stick with what I'm good at. And at this point, we still don't know, like, how Nightblood actually kills people, you know? Yeah. Does he just fly around through the air? Like, what? <laughs> that's, you know? that's what I'm envisioning. That's what you're picturing. Yeah. Just whack, 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 whack. Yeah, exactly. Huzzah, <laughs> just flying, you know? <laughs> Turning like like the like um, the rabbit in Monty Python, just exactly, zing, yeah, zing. It's a zoom, you know, just <laughs> that's exactly what I'm what I'm picturing. <laughs> okay, so another question: Would you dig a world without restaurants? Like, like just pay some random chick to make you a sandwich? Like that's what you have to do, apparently, on most of Nalthus outside of Tetelier. Here's fifty cents. Make me a sandwich. <laughs> Could someone, could someone just make me a turkey sub? I mean, what are you supposed to do? When I just you're thought tra- it was an interesting yeah, world building it, touch. It, it, it is. So you just go knocking on a door. Hey, you got tits. Make me a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is what is Brandon Sanderson trying to say? Like and that the Nalthans are not as evolved as the Rosharans. I, I don't I know. Guess. I mean, yeah. I tell you what, this is the city I want to hang out at, though, if it's the only one with any restaurants. Right. And by which he means there's like six. Right. You know, but still. So I put chapters six and seven together because they're both kind of short and one sort of little arc. Works for me. Okay. So Siri endures a very uncomfortable wedding night, but it's not what you think. After being poked, prodded, and measured, she meets Bluefingers, the head scribe mentioned in the previous chapter. He lays down some interesting ground rules regarding her interactions with her new husband. They include, but are not limited to, avoid irritating him in any way, or he might kill you. No talking to him, or he might kill you. And try not to touch him too much. After an ominous good luck, Bluefingers leads her to the bedchamber. Once inside, Siri disrobes, kneels down, and nothing happens. At least not in this chapter. Meanwhile, Lightsong is approached by Blushweaver, a goddess. In between flirtations, she tries to enlist him to her cause. She thinks that having an Idrian queen will eventually bring about the end of the returned. Blushweaver. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> it's a little on the nose, a maybe. A little bit on the nose. A little bit. Goodness. So, yeah. So, so Bluefinger says, yeah, try not to touch him, kiss him too much. She's like, you're aware that we are going to be having sex, right? Like, <laughs> how is that? Sp- just lay there and just lay there and let him do it. Just starfish it, girl. Just exactly. Just lay there and let him do what he wants. <laughs> Then he'll go away. Boy, these people have a... What an enlightened view on on sex. My Lord. You know, it's it's interesting where we've just happened to have ended this because we still have not met this Susabron character who's been made out to be... You know, he's made out to be like the bad guy in the old movie Legend, you know, Mm -hmm. with the giant horns on his head and like... Just this larger than life, incredibly evil, nasty person. The only people we've encountered to this point are Blushweaver and Lightsong, who don't 
seem to be like that in any way. Mm -hmm. So now I'm, I'm, because we're taking this break and recording this, recording this now, I'm left in this sort of weird space going, what is this guy going to be like? Mm -hmm. You know, he could, he could be eight feet tall and like, you know, like, uh, Who's the guy in Beauty and the Beast? The tool. Gaston. Gaston. He could be like Gaston. You know, he could be, uh, you know, he could be like Roose Bolton. Mm. He could be like the king in the movie Elizabeth who's just like gay and doesn't want to touch his wife, mm -hmm. you know? You know, uh, you know, weighs about 130 pounds soaking wet and is you know, has more impressive clothes than the queen does. Uh, you know, we just have no idea what to actually expect. You know, is he setting up this expectation only, you know, to betray it? And like Susabron, who, you know, is going to be like 13 years old and likes to play with Lincoln Logs, you know, like, <laughs> I just don't know. We just have no idea. I kind of can't wait to go read. Yeah. I loved one of my favorite parts in this section for me was Siri's bravery in sending her men back to Idris. And I know you said before you thought that was probably a dumb idea, but I just thought it was cool of her, you know, going into this situation being like, well, at least someone should be able to go home. Yeah. We're not dealing with a world where I think having a handful of sort of ordinary drab soldiers right. is going to do a lot no so so i don't i don't want to be critical of that decision right if, if this was a more mundane lower magic world i i would question whether or not that was a good idea at the same point in time i would also suspect that these people based on the the way that they were greeted they're probably not going to let her they're just gonna, right they weren't were going to let those guys in the palace anyway yeah exactly so don't don't know how much that mattered. I sort of, I mean, it talks about how she's terrified, but I sort of feel like she handles this with a lot more bravery and a lot more calmly than I think most people would. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, she's not unaware of what she's going to do, and it mentions at times that she's afraid. But I think she handles it with with more poise than than just about anybody else would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Siri's a cool character. I I definitely dig her. One other thing that caught my attention here, a little bit later in the chapter, they cut her hair and she just grows it back. That's so cool, isn't it? Super cool. But up to that point, her hair had also been changing colors yes. all the time, and nobody acted like that was a special skill. So does that lead me to believe that that is not particularly unique? I thought the royal hair was... No, the royal hair is the royal hair. Like the color changing and being able to grow it only happens within the royal family of Idris. Okay, it could have just been who she was in front of right. were not people who were going to say anything. Yeah, well, I think, you know, up until this point, she had mostly been surrounded by her men who would be used to her changing her hair color all of the time. Yeah. I think probably growing it in front of the handmaidens was a kind of a spectacular show. But that's pretty cool. Could I wish I could do that. I wish I could grow a beard like that. You'd have like a Tom Selleck stash one day. You'd oh, have a I would I would change it like I change a the hat. Next day. Like absolutely. A little flavor saver one day. Oh yeah. I'm glad you can't grow a beard like that. All right. I'm gonna for that you get the Tom Selleck. <laughs> no. That's right. Not the porn stash. You you talk. It's too keep crazy. talking about my facial hair. I'll <laughs> I'll show you. Have we told that story? Of the time you had, had a porn stash and then you could, could only keep it for 15 minutes because it looks so ridiculous. 
I mean, that's pretty much the story. <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> I shaved. It was my... one of the most frightening. Oh, it was terrifying. Frightening fifteen minutes of my life. <laughs> I shaved my my beard off. I think it was after vacation or mm-hmm. something like that, and uh, I I did it while you were gone, <laughs> and just on purpose, waiting mm-hmm. for you to come back. And uh, <laughs> you walked in the house, and you were like, "Dear God, get that thing away from me." <laughs> And I looked at myself in the mirror and I, I couldn't I couldn't stop laughing. It was so bad. It, I was embarrassed for myself. <laughs> very few, very few men can pull that off. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I I have the like the Magnum PI like huge porn stash. Like if I if I go mustache only. Mm-hmm. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. I look like I should be walking around in a tank top with really, really short gym shorts and really high socks, (laughs) feathered hair. Anyway. So, yes, we're glad you can't magically grow your beard however however you want it. So... One little like history slash world building thing we learn in this chapter too is about Khaled the Usurper. Khaled. Mm-hmm. Khaled. Kaladin. Certainly similar. Kalak. Yeah. So it's hard to it's hard to look at that and not think it's intentional. Or maybe Brandon Sanderson just likes the way those names sound. Maybe he's got like a random name generator, but it's only got it's like half stuck. of the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, it's stuck. <laughs> Just KLA and then throw another random letter in there. <laughs> so yeah, Khaled the Usurper used his breath to create an army of lifeless and start the many war. We don't know anything beyond that. The many war. The many war. The Great War. Not a single war, but many wars. Many wars. It was the war to end all wars. Apparently. So you liking it so far? What do you think? Yeah, I'm digging it so far. You're digging it so far? Yeah, it's it's enjoyable. Any predictions? I do have predictions. Yes. And I will make them them stupid and audacious, even if if I'm completely wrong. I love it. Because that's what I do. That's what I do for you guys. So... To me, the most interesting part are the, the quote, gods who don't have any sense of their own identity. Right. Right down to the point where they don't even really have real names. Right. You know, they're uh, Cat Scratch or, you know, Shitbag or whatever they are. Right. Um, Light Song and was it Blushbringer? Blushweaver. Blushweaver. <laughs> Come on, man. Bushwhacker. The... <laughs> now, that would be great if, like, the Bushwhacker twins showed up, <laughs> you know, waving their arms, one of them carrying a two-by-four. Start party crashing. Mm-hmm. That, would, that would be phenomenal. I would mm-hmm. like this book a lot better. But I think that is really, really a, a critical thing. And I feel like it's an interesting exploration of just how completely robbed you are of power when you don't have an identity. Mm. Like you don't have a history. You mm-hmm. don't you don't know where you're coming from. You have there's no context for mm-hmm. anything. So when somebody comes to you and says, uh, this is what we do, and this is you know, particularly when they're telling they're giving you things and giving you power and, you know, giving you food and bringing you breath, you know, and you're reliant upon these people because mm-hmm. you will die if they don't bring you a little girl to you know, give you give you her breath, right? Mm-hmm. So you're who's really in charge here? Like, who's really got the power base? And it's interesting to me how it's that lack of identity that sort of handcuffs you and says, uh, "No, I can't leave this because where the hell am I going to go? What else am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I don't have any place in the world." 
Yeah, it's a very interesting character. That was not a prediction, however. No. <laughs> so, I think that uh, I think that Laramar is actually taking information down about Light Song's dreams to see if anything from his former life is creeping through. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about predicting things, right? I also think that those gods don't really have power. They are getting replaced and killed all the time. You know, as soon as one of them gets hip to something or becomes a problem, they fucking off them. You know, and when we have the conversation with uh, old breathy breath, you mm-hmm. know, hot breath, she, you know. Hot breath. Hot breath, yeah. It gives us the impression that they go disappearing all the time. Mm-hmm. I think these returned are actually from a different planet on Roshar. Mm. I think that's why they're so much larger. Mm-hmm. And I think that this story ends, I think this book ends with this whole palace gods, you know, priests telling them their gods shenanigans being destroyed. All right. Them's my predictions. I like them. All right. So that was our bonus episode. Yeah. Thanks for hanging in there with us. I feel like I should make it known that I'm still halfway zonked from anesthesia. Because I, I had a, I had a. No one could tell. No, I really, because I feel not 100% on my game. We decided to go ahead and record this anyway. I did have a, a procedure earlier today for which I was completely put under, and I, I'm just. I don't feel on top of my faculties. This is the level of dedication we have for this podcast. <laughs> Neither rain, and it rained its ass off today, nor sleet, nor surgical intervention <laughs> will keep us from podcasting and giving you the content that you want and deserve. <laughs> is there any podcast more dedicated than the Duke and Duchess? I don't think there is. I don't think there is. <laughs> Where else do you get this sort of entertainment? <laughs> so can I tell them what it was like in the recovery room with you today? <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> so... You had an endoscopy. Yes. That's an yeah. Ad- I, okay. That I didn't mean to sound. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's mysterious. That, yeah. Yeah. That's an important part of. I wasn't having a. They didn't remove a removed, liver. No. Or a no, leg. No, it was nothing serious. <laughs> so, you had this endoscopy, and mm-hmm. you know they put you completely out, and so I come into the recovery room, and um, you're asleep, but you as soon as I get there, you can tell that I'm there, and um, you didn't sound knocked out. But the first thing that came out of your mouth was you said, are you looking at the inside of my stomach? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I was like, no. And uh, you apparently thought... I was worried. You thought that the actual surgery was, or uh, the endoscopy was going on, not realizing that if it was going on, you wouldn't have been able to talk, you know? Hey, we don't have a whole lot of mystery left <laughs> in this relationship, okay? I'm trying to preserve a little bit. You're like, what is it? And then you said, what does it look like? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, well, I see a whole little kingdom of elves in there. <laughs> and you were like, no, that's an alien spawn. <laughs> and then you said... <laughs> And then, and then you kind of, you, you reached out, like you started reaching your hand out <laughs> for me and you said, I want you to promise me that if the alien spawn gets out, you'll, you won't come back for me. You'll just run, just run. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, well, what if I'm not faster than the alien? She said, you said, well... <laughs> then you're fucked. <laughs> and uh, and then you said I I think I think my parents will take care of the kids. <laughs> and then the doctor walked into the room and that's like when you sort of like woke up and you were like, 
oh, it's over? Like you, <laughs> and I asked you five minutes later if you remembered any of that, and you, you didn't. So that was awesome. <laughs> and the great part about it for me was this is now the third time I get to experience it because I got to experience it. Mm-hmm. And then I got to tell it to you <laughs> because you didn't remember it. And now I get to say it on the podcast. Best day ever. <laughs> because well, I'm, I'm glad it's over. I'm turning your medical procedure and discomfort <laughs> into something about me because that's, that's what I do. So this has been bonus. This is what you get. This is the bonus content <laughs> that you get. This is the bonus content. A deeper dive into our personal lives than <laughs> I think any of us ever intended. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else? I don't, but thanks for hanging in there with us. Yeah. We will catch you on the next book club. Yep. And we will have another Warbreaker episode whenever we feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the way it works. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.